0: Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network with me, Janine Maloff, the producer and host here on Blog Talk Radio. In fact, I should actually say the full title of the show because it's Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report. Now, this week, uh, we're going to be talking about progressive politics, obviously, and it's not going to be so much environmental. This is really dealing with First Amendment rights. Uh, And actually some 14th Amendment, too. So if if you saw the advert, and hopefully you did, Facebook, eh, they put me on a restriction again. I must be very popular. Anyway, if you saw the advert, if not, it says PNN with Janine Moloff, that's me, anti-woke laws in academia violate First Amendment. Now, I, I don't know how to put it any more succinctly than that, because they do. So our intro goes on to say, you know, PNN did begin in Florida under my colleagues Rick Spizak and Brooke Hines. In fact, Rick is the producer emeritus and the creator. He was down there in 2000 reporting on the Brooks Brothers riot uh, and calling out the Republicans for, you know, refusing to count the vote, ironically. So PNN did begin in Florida, and so it's fitting that what we're talking about today has to deal with not only this issue around the country and really around the world, but specifically the law as uh, signed off on by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or as I call him, Death Santos. So it's befitting that we highlight the mockery DeSantis and his Republican trolls have made of the Bill of Rights. Now, K through twelve teachers working with minor children are censored in terms of multiple subjects, you know, to the point of lunacy. And, you know, I used to work in a school system and I can tell you, yes, there are certain things that probably aren't really appropriate developmentally for children of certain ages. So, you know, you have to use some judgment. But now it's going to affect the university level and even businesses. So now DeSantis pushed, uh, as, well, as well as the Florida legislature, to censor university professors from teaching the truth about systemic racism, systemic misogyny, homophobia, etc. in this nation. Now, these laws these, that they call anti-woke laws, I'm going to call them out, they are reminiscent of the old Nazi regime of Hitler. The Nazis censored their professors, they censored their K-12 ch- teachers, they censored what journalists could write, and so on and so forth. So tonight, I'm going to look at the history behind this censorship, at least as it is now with these anti-woke laws, and the legal argument against it. And I was going, going on to say in my little advert that Ron DeSantis, or Death Santis, he is a national disgrace. And the fact that he was reelected in Florida only shames Floridians more. Uh, We're going to also have the Jackass of the Week Award. So let's go on with the show. All righty. And this one hits me hard because, again, I taught for over 30 years. And I know my principals in various schools, they just knew I wasn't going to be censored. Period. So... You know, once again, this has to stop. So let's go. All righty. So I'm going to my nice little outline here. You know, for every show, I could say, and hopefully my computer won't act up, I can say that I probably download and review and make notes on eh, anywhere between five to 15,000 words worth of documents, of source documents, that is. So i'm not just talking off the top of my head so let's start so last night i was and this is really appropriate i was watching the old spencer tracy movie inherit the wind and with really very renewed and appropriate interest now and it's very appropriate for these times now those of you that are unfamiliar the play upon which the movie was based dealt with what was called the old scopes monkey trial and this was the case that put the first amendment on trial so in 1925 the scopes monkey trial began and there was a teacher high school science teacher named john thomas scopes and he was accused of teaching evolution that was in violation of a tennessee state law do you not see the irony there are places here in the united states that are also trying to ban either the teaching of evolution or demand that you teach uh, cre- the creationist version of, of of evolution as well. I mean, this is, you know, religious conservatives, basically trampling on the rest of our rights. So this is what happened. So the law had been passed that March and it was a misdemeanor. Okay. To quote, according to law, quote, teach any theory that denies that denies the story of the divine creation of man as taught in the Bible, and to teach instead that man has descended from a lower order of animals. End quote. So that was in the Tennessee law, and so Scopes had some, you know, some backup from a local businessman named George Rappalea, and they conspired to <clears throat> to break this law. And um, after Scopes was arrested the Scopes, uh enlisted the aid of the ACLU for a defense. Now, because this was an attack, Christian fundamentalists thought this was an attack on Christian fundamentalism. It wasn't. But they saw it as such, so they brought their Goliath, if you will, William Jennings Bryan. Now, William Jennings Bryan was a three-time Democratic presidential candidate. He was a hero to fundamentalist Christians and he volunteered to help with the prosecution then attorney Clarence Darrow joined the ACLU in the defense and this was one of the most famous trials in U.S. history okay there were reporters and and spectators everybody came down into Dayton and this was Dayton Tennessee you want to say Ohio but it's Dayton Tennessee and as Clarence Darrow tried to establish a legitimate defense, you know, calling scientists, all right, um, but he was he was slapped on. In fact, it started where the judge, a man, Judge John Ralston, um, ruled against Darrow when Darrow said, um, you know, that the practice of each day's procedure with a prayer basically is an unfair advantage to the other side. Um, you know, and they were trying to prove this law was unconstitutional. There was like, outside in Dayton, Tennessee, it was like a carnival, okay? I mean, you know, if you ever watched Inherit the One you think, oh, wow, it wasn't that silly. It actually was. Um, so there were vendors selling Bibles and toy monkeys and hot dogs and lemonade. And, um, you know, it was just ridiculous. Uh, They had a chimpanzee named Joe Mendy, who wore a plaid suit, a brown fedora, I'm reading straight from history.com, and white spats, which were the dress shoes of the day. Okay, Um, now Judge Ralston attacked the defense's Darrow's strategy. Uh, He ruled that, quote, expert scientific testimony on evolution was inadmissible on the grounds that it was Scopes who was on trial, not the law he had violated, end quote. Excuse me. And the very next day, Judge Ralston ordered the trial be moved outside to the courthouse lawn, and he claimed that the weight of the crowd inside the building might collapse the floor. So then Clarence Darrow really, with the ACLU, had a hard time defending scopes because, you know, of course, you're putting the law on trial, not just this, you know, the judge limited to the idea that whether or not this young man, this teacher chose to violate the law, not that the law itself was, was just, you know, unjust. Well, of course he violated the law, but the law was unjust. And so could do was he called it as his only witness then, since so he couldn't call any scientist. He called William Jennings Bryant and he was trying to discredit literal interpretation of the Bible and you know this was this is what they have to do so the jury returned with a guilty fig a guilty verdict and judge Ralston ordered scopes the teacher to pay a fine of a $100 which was the minimum that the minimum fine the law allowed Um, but then two years later in nineteen twenty seven the Tennessee Supreme Court overturned the monkey trial verdict, but on a technicality, the constitutional issues were not dealt with. But then in nineteen sixty eight think about that for a minute. Basically in nineteen sixty eight, then the US Supreme Court overturned a similar law in Arkansas on the grounds it violated the First Amendment. Okay? Why am I talking about this? Because these anti-woke laws, it's the same thing. It's an attempt to violate the First Amendment. Now, if these conservatives actually were bright, they would realize that people like me that don't believe in censorship, I don't believe in letting people do hate crimes or inciting people to violence, but you know, we have other penalties. I don't believe in censorship, which means that not only would the – viewpoints of the left be respected but so would the viewpoints of religious fundamentalists they just could have forced their viewpoints on others and that's what they really want so you know inherit the wind the movie i was watching last night was based on that trial now in 2023 we have the far right not only denying first amendment protections to minorities you know communities of color uh uppity women Uh, the LGBTQ plus community, uh, but especially communities of color. But the far right is also demanding and receiving in these laws special privileges to one group, namely white Christians with this whole spate of anti-woke bills. And in Florida, Ron DeSantis became the king, ironically, the king of cancel culture because he celebrated this egregious attack on not only the First Amendment but the very idea of equal rights itself. And that's something that, you know, uh, conservatives cannot get through their little bigoted skulls. Yes, you have a right to say bigoted things if you like. Of course, if you slander, libel, or defame somebody, it's not for the government to go after you, but that person can sue you for slander, libel, or defamation. It's really that simple. Um, You know, you can't incite people to violence because, you know, if you incite a lynch mob and somebody gets killed, then yeah, you can be tried for felony murder, the same as you took a gun to that person's head. That stuff's already there. But see, the the far right, it isn't enough that they want their viewpoints respected. They want to silence the rest of us and force their viewpoint on everybody else. This is the bad old days. These anti-woke bills really represent the bad old days of white Christian males basically not only controlling everything, but demanding and receiving the right to slap the rest of us silly and nearly kill us for daring to question them. You know, How dare we be uppity, if you will. Take a little sip of my tea. So where did I first get the story? Well, the first I saw the story in ProPublica. And it was actually um, co-published with The Atlantic. Okay? And, excuse me, the headline is, uh, excuse me, folks. The headline is, Muzzled by DeSantis, Critical Race Theory Professors Cancel Courses or Modify Their Teaching. It's by Daniel Golden, and it was published just this past week on January 3rd, 2023. And this is really, you know, we already had the don't say gay law, and we've already had our K-12 through teachers censored. Now they're saying that if you teach at a public university, you can be censored as well. Because what they're claiming, if you are a public employee, that you have basically signed away your First Amendment rights, which is nonsense. But that's what they're claiming. Uh, Excuse me, folks. I have a little issue with my microphone here. Sorry. All right. So, you know, this article deals with several non-tenured university um, instructors, professors, whatever. People need to understand, first of all, what the concept of tenure is. Tenure, first of all, is different. Well, tenure isn't saying somebody can't be fired. What it's saying is if there's a pattern of problems and they want to fire a professor, they have to go through due process. That's it. So it, it talks about these different professors, especially professors of color. Um, and the first professor they talk about is a man named Jonathan Cox. And Professor Cox was scheduled to teach two classes at the University of Central Florida, and they were they would both explore what's called colorblind racism. And I'm basically taking this straight from the ProPublica piece, colorblind racism, quote, is, is quote, the concept that ostensibly race-neutral practices can have a discriminatory impact, end quote. Now, I I have family members, I have friends, colleagues that, you know, don't understand what this means, all right? They think, well, everybody should be treated the same, have the same equal rights, and they believe, you know, we they just, they're colorblinds, colorblind society. What they fail to understand is until restitution and um, reparation is made for past injustices, just saying we're colorblind now and everything's equal from this point on allows privileged classes, namely white Christian males, to hold on to a certain amount of unfair, unearned privilege. It's kind of that old finders keepers, losers weepers, childish mentality. That's the problem with colorblind philosophies. They're not colorblind. It, it's it's the idea that some people start out, start life on third base and then brag they made a triple. doesn't work that way. So we have to talk about this. Um, so the two courses that Professor Cox was going to teach, one was race and social media And it featured a unit on, quote, racial ideology and colorblindness. And the second class was going to be race and ethnicity. And that would include a reading on, quote, the myth of a colorblind society, end quote. Now, Professor Cox is an assistant sociology professor. um, But as recently as August of 21, he really wasn't too worried about this whole anti-CRT, anti-critical race theory furor. he wasn't worried that it was going to really interfere with his teaching. Um, he was asked on a podcast what instructors would do. This was back in 21. You know, if Florida restricted the teaching of CRT, and you know, he said that he'd avoid certain buzzwords. To quote Professor Cox, quote, "What many of us are looking at doing is just maybe shifting some of the language that we're using." End quote. But there was a clash. Okay. Um, Ron DeSantis himself proposed the strongest legislation against what he called, quote, the state-sanctioned racism that is critical race theory, and that is as documented by floridagov.com. It comes from his own webpage. Um, so then last April, DeSantis signed what they call, ironically, the Individual Freedom Act. That's the one that's also known as the Stop Woke Act. Uh, and what this does, according to this article, quote, It bans teaching that one race or gender is morally superior to another and prohibits teachers from making students feel guilty for past discrimination by members of their race. And it goes on to say, quote, and it specifically bars portraying racial colorblindness, which the law labels a virtue as racist, end quote, from the article. So this is putting – DeSantis is not stupid, all right? The man is – an alum of both Yale and Harvard, and he did some time at Oxford. He's a bright man, very well educated. It's just a shame that he's either a sellout or a bigot or both because he knows the most obvious racism eh, is going to make him look bad. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there, they want to do racist things, but they don't want to be called out as a racist. So they code the words, you know, kind of like the late Lee Atwater said. And I mean, colorblind society, which sounds reasonable, it really does, is anything but reasonable. It's, it's basically akin to, after the thieves rob the bank blind, then you call everybody an honest, uh, an honest arbiter. But you're still letting this one group of thieves keep what they stole in the first place. That's the effect, that's what this colorblind nonsense really does. It allows the vestiges of racism to remain in place and grow even. And, you know, once again, these people can't be called out as racist then for fear of prosecution. I mean, think about how diabolical this is. It's not just the university professors that are in danger, because this law actually goes a little further and it includes businesses can't do anti-discrimination type um, workshops because of the anti-woke act. So th- think about what they're really saying. They're saying that if somebody wrongs you because you're either a person of color or what I what they would call an uppity woman or a member of the LGBTQ society uh, community, whatever you can't call them on it now they not only can attack us but they're saying we don't have the right to at least label them for what they are for fear of prosecution for fear of losing your job for fear of being sued you know i i don't i'm not in the classroom anymore i mainly do journalism but i still do some tutoring online and occasionally i will run into a client where you can tell that usually high school students, you can tell the parents have taught their kids bigotry. And, you know, you can't mention it. And you know what? Those are the clients I say get somebody else. Because these kids really believe what their parents have told them, you know, that there's no racism, there's no sexism, there's no homophobia, trans, none of that. And so, you know, DeSantis, this law, if applied, more of a blanket application could be taken to really criminalize free speech altogether eventually and free press. And I think that's really DeSantis' intention. You know, as horrible as Trump was, Ron DeSantis, I think, in some ways, is far more treacherous and dangerous because he's smarter and he knows what he's doing now. This idea that it specifically bars portraying racial color blindness that the law calls a virtue as racist. Okay, this isn't just an attack on free speech, it's an attack on thought. You can't say that? You can't state that as an opinion? Why not? Why can't these professors state it as an opinion and present their evidence? That's the whole essence of free speech and free press. And given the fact that Ron DeSantis is actually a licensed attorney, he knows better. But there was a DeSantis spokesperson, uh, his name was Jeremy Redfern, who emailed the writer writer of this article for the ProPublica that the law, quote, protects the open exchange of ideas by, quote, prohibiting teachers from, quote, forcing discriminatory concepts on students. Good God, talk about nonsense. This law protects open exchange of ideas by prohibiting teachers from, quote, forcing discriminatory concepts on students, end quote. So, you know, what's next? That you can't teach the Holocaust? Can't teach about racism. Can't teach about Jim Crow. And then next would be you can't teach about the Holocaust. Can't teach about the pogroms of Russia. Can't teach about the um, British committing a genocide in South Africa and India and so on and so forth. Because it might make people feel uncomfortable. The whole essence of history is if you're teaching history, for instance, and your students aren't feeling uncomfortable at certain times, then you're not teaching history. You're supposed to teach the truth. So Mr. Redfern, good God, that's not only a lie, it's an incredibly stupid lie on his on his part. But this law interferes. It really limits the freedom of professors. Not only professors, but professors that are experts in their fields. So they can't even pick what they're going to teach. Okay? And so this is having reverberations throughout the academic community. just does. Okay, um... And it goes on into, you know, uh, you know, there's a quote here from Professor Cox's department chair. He's in sociology. And the department chair is Elizabeth Mustaine. And, um, you know, she went along with Cox's dropping certain courses because, quote, she said, quote, I'm not going to stress anyone out about this. It's crazy. It's an absolute tragedy that classes like this get canceled, end quote. Okay. And then a third of the ProPublica piece put out the fact that that particular department that specializes in the study of human society offers, um, last fall, offered 39 courses. Not a single one focused primarily on race. It's absurd, okay? When you talk about past colonialism, the British Empire in India, the British Empire... In South Africa, Uh, you talk about um, Jim Crow here. I mean, you can't talk about it without talking about race. Their excuse for treating people of color as less than human was strictly race. But this critical race theory that was really a very obscure academic theory limited to eh, if you were say taking graduate level courses in sociology or you were in law school that was it it wasn't taught anywhere else but it became the boogeyman and part of that was because in part because of jerks like christopher rufo who is a senior fellow at the conservative manhattan institute he has really pushed this and rufo according to this article In ProPublica, it says here, quote, conceived of targeting CRT, critical race theory, to foment a backlash against measures enacted following George Floyd's murder in May 2020. Okay? This is all about white racists that are outraged that we're telling them they're racist because they are. They're tariff. They... the backlash against George Floyd's murder and the murder of so many other black Americans. You know, these people want to turn the clock back, not to the 1950s. They want to turn it back to, I think, the 1850s, seriously, or at least the 1920s, where everything was totally segregated and there was no question. Okay? And again, um, according to this, the uh, writer of this article... In ProPublica, Rufo uh, sent an email that said, quote, school districts across the country suddenly started adopting equity statements, hiring diversity. Here, let me back up here for a second here. Give me a second. I want to make that a little more clear. So right now, I'm going to read straight from the article itself, okay, from ProPublica. Quote, in just over two years, critical race theory has gone from a largely obscure academic subject to a favored boogeyman for Republican candidates. Activists, huh, such as Christopher Rufo, a senior fellow, to, fellow at the conservative Manhattan Institute, conceived a target of targeting CRT to foment a backlash against measures enacted following George Floyd's murder in May 2020. At that time, okay, Rufo told me in an email, and this would have been, I guess, according to this article back in 2020, uh, Rufo told me in an email, the writer, that is, quote, school districts across the country suddenly started adopting equity statements, hiring diversity and inclusion bureaucrats, and injecting heavily partisan political content into the curriculum, end quote. Um, black, it go, the article goes on to say, quote, Black Lives Matter and the left were riding high, said Rufo, who denies that structural racism exists in America. Uh, in our email exchange, Rufo described, quote, the fight against critical race theory as, quote, the most successful counterattack against BLM, Black Lives Matter, as a political movement. We shifted the terrain and fought on a vector the left could not successfully mobilize against, end quote. Okay, so this is straight from the article. And then the anti-CRT campaign that expanded from slogans to writing laws. There's seven states, including Florida, that passed legislation. And I, I have a document here, docsgoogle.com. And this really, this legislation restricting what public colleges can teach or train related to CRT. Um, now, there was a little bit of a shift fighting back. November 17, 2022, a federal judge did uh, issue a temporary block, did, let me back up again, quote on november 17 2022 a federal judge temporarily blocked enforcement of the higher education provisions of florida's individual freedom act okay now judge mark walker as documented there's document cloud here wrote the following quote the first amendment does not permit the state of florida to muzzle its university professors impose its own orthodoxy of viewpoints, and cast us all into the dark. I'm going to read this one again, because I'm hoping Jackass, a.k.a. also known as Ron DeSantis, hears this. The judge wrote, quote, the First Amendment does not permit the state of Florida to muzzle its university professors, impose its own orthodoxy of viewpoints, and cast us all into the dark. End quote. DeSantis, his administration, filed a notice of appeal November 29th. They want to stay the injunction uh, pending appeal. In other words, they want an injunction that stops um, the um, judge blocking the enforcement of this law until the appeal is done. And why wouldn't they? You know, the article goes on to say how the 11th Circuit, I guess, would be, the next court that would hear this and most of the judges on the eleven on the eleventh circuit are Republican appointees. Okay? And then you had DeSantis. He won a reelection with an alleged landslide. I, I I don't understand y'all in Florida. I'm gonna tell you that right now. I thought Missouri was backwards. Glad I don't live in Florida. righty, so uh, during his campaign, DeSantis just repeatedly kept calling out woke education. You know, there's there's something really pathetic about a privileged white man trying to use black um, black dialect, if you will, terms coined in communities of color, and he uses it so ineffectually. You know, because he's trying to make it sound like he's cool, and there ain't nothing cool about Ron DeSantis. All righty. And unfortunately, Republicans gained a supermajority in both chambers of the Florida state legislature. So there's more to this problem than what we thought. At the federal level, there are Republicans that want to censor all of us. Okay, conservatives are going for, they don't say which conservatives, but according to this article, the conservatives are drafting, quote, a potential suite of executive orders in 2024, end quote. And that's in case the next POTUS presidential election goes their way to, quote, disrupt the national network of left-wing ideological production and distribution, end quote. And that this quote is attributed to Christopher Rufo at the Manhattan Institute. okay at that point I really don't give a damn about a presidential order that says I can't call out somebody for being racist I'll break the damn law then because it's unconstitutional okay um, this you know and it, it's amazing too because a lot of these university teachers professors whatever they they're working under horrible conditions you know there's something really wrong with our university system for instance When the average assistant professor who is not tenured or maybe it's an adjunct, the average adjunct who's teaching courses earns so little they have to, you know, be on food stamps. They earn less than minimum wage by the time you factor in all the hours they put in besides in the classroom. Yet, sports coaches make a bloody fortune. Okay? Just saying. Uh, But again, this is really hitting academia hard, okay? Um, And there's a quote here from Grace Castellan, who is a UCF undergraduate. And God bless this student. This person plans to introduce a resolution in the Student Senate condemning the law. Grace Castellan said, quote, when you implement a law like this, you're asking professors to leave out things that clearly happen or have happened in the past. It's making us more ignorant in this generation and generations to come, end quote. I'd like to interview that person. God bless her. But it's not just – it's, it's more places, too. So you've got UCF, I guess it's University of Central Florida, the provost, Michael Johnson. He told faculty last uh, July that, quote, the university would have to take disciplinary action – as documented in a YouTube video, quote, against any faculty member who repeatedly violated the Individual Freedom Act because it couldn't afford to lose a catastrophic amount, $32 million, in state funding linked to graduation rates and other metrics, end quote. Uh, it should be mentioned, according to the ProPublica team, that Michael Johnson declined their interview request. Now, other states have attacked academia as well. In Tennessee might. Tennessee was the place where the Scopes Monkey trial took place. They passed a law like Florida's. Um, And, you know, once again, not shocked. Um, There are a few tenured professors that can afford and and are actually fighting. Um, There's a historian and a full tenured professor, Robert Castellano. And um, he became a plaintiff in one of the lawsuits challenging this law, according to its documented by courthousenews.com, um, you know, stating uh, they're fighting and saying that the Individual Freedom Act does violate free speech. Well, of course it does. Um, and, and, you know, once again, you have to wonder, you know, the, the far rights become so bold that this is not even subtle, okay. So let's move on. All right, you get the idea here, and uh, you know, I, I, I just, this is just evil, okay. But a lot of this has been pushed. You know, it's amazing how. The far right has their, you know, know know-nothing bigots like Tucker Carlson that repeatedly slander and defame critical race theory, but we're not allowed to defend it. That's insane. It's also illegal. So, um, let's see now. There was one more professor here. Uh, a sociologist named Chantel Bugs. I want to mention her first of all. She's a tenured black woman in Florida State College of Social Sciences and Public Policy. So, you know, there aren't many of many tenured black faculty there at all. In fact, in 2021, the college had one tenured black woman. It had two tenured black faculty and 59 white faculty. Um, the individual freedom legislation was being enacted. You know, Professor Bug saw that she had to kind of recalibrate things. And, um, you know, one of the last courses she developed and taught was critical race theory. That was in the spring of 2021. Um, The following September, according to the article, quote, she learned it was the only Florida State course listed on the critical race training in education website. Okay, which then was featured on, guess who, Tucker Carlson tonight. And Tucker went on to describe CRT as a radical ideology that challenges the very foundations of American democracy. And you can look at the documentation on criticalrace.org. Well, you know, let's face facts. All right, I'm 63. I graduated high school in 1977. And I heard all that manifest destiny crap in history class. Okay, the fact is, the foundations of American democracy, are those, pretty, those pretty words in the Constitution and the uh, Declaration of Independence sound lovely. You know, the reason why so many migrants in the past and now want to come here is because of those pretty words. You know, they think, wow, this place is offering equality, equal rights and democracy for everybody. But that was never the original intent. The original intent was only white men who owned property, period. Nobody else had rights. That is a historic fact, period. And it was a long, drawn-out fight to extend what are really human rights to all of us. So, you know, the fact that Tucker Carlson can shoot off his mouth and show how utterly ignorant he is, we have a right to rebut him, okay? I don't care what Tucker Carlson has to say, and I think the people that listen to him are a bunch of ignorant asses. Just saying it, okay? Uh, but Bugs, Professor Bugs, then learned that the website, okay, that was on this critical race training and education website, was a project being conducted by a group called the Legal Insurrection Foundation. And she became upset about the term insurrection. Okay. And apparently, okay, there's a quote here from William Jacobson, who is a Cornell University law professor. Mr. Jacobson is also the president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation. Now, in all fairness, I have not had time to look him up yet. But according to this article in ProPublica, quote, the purpose of the critical race training and education website is to, quote, document what students can expect at a particular campus. That's according to Mr. Jacobson. Uh, Jacobson told the writer of this article for ProPublica that, quote, because he had criticized the Black Lives Matter movement, Cornell alumni petitioned to have him fired, a faculty statement denounced him, and a student group called for boycotting his courses. Um, And then directly, Mr. Jacobson said, quote, considering what I have gone through, I'm very sympathetic to left-leaning faculty who come under attack. But it also is clear the overwhelming campus cancel culture is from the left towards the right, not the other way around, he said. Okay. All right. First of all, uh, I don't think – this man sounds hideous. I don't think, though, a professor from the right or left should be fired – Because they criticize the movement. Now, if they misrepresent, if they knowingly push lies, that's a different story. But if it's their opinion expressed as such, and it's a criticism, and they have documentation, they have a right to do that. The students there and the alumni that didn't like it have a right to offer rebuttal. It's really that simple. Of course, I don't know what the criticism was. So I'm going to put a halt on that one and get back to everybody because he could have said something truly hideous. I don't know. And when I don't know, I'll admit it. But I definitely will be looking up that group. Okay. Um, So this is what's happening. This is censorship. Now, I can acknowledge that there are extremists on both sides of the political spectrum, right and left, you know, that want politically correct speech. Again, I don't believe in censorship. I do believe in full disclosure, however, and an open and you know vigorous debate, if you will. That being said, when people offer something as fact, they should be able to document their sources. And if they can't, I don't want to hear them. It's really that simple. You know, when I hear people say, well, I read a study. What study? Uh, Online. Where online? What was the name of the publication? And they can't tell me, you know, that basically lets me know this is a person who is either inherently dishonest, and they know they're being dishonest, or they're just that ignorant. I don't know, but I'm not going to listen to it. Okay? So... And unfortunately, Professor Bugs has noticed that this political climate and the way the rights being favored is, you know, affecting her students. Um, you know, students began to, she said, ding her in evaluations uh, last spring. One called her a misandrist, which is a man hater. And then, what Bugs went on to say, "quote Part of what pissed me off is he got an A." Okay, um, Professor Bugs has also had to add a disclaimer provided by the faculty union to her syllabi that says the following, quote, no lesson is intended to espouse, promote, advance, inculcate, or compel a particular feeling, perception, viewpoint, or belief, end quote. Okay, this is, you know, gotten out of hand. Keep in mind, it it's really an unequal situation, too, because while these people on the left are being told they can't even teach the truth about history then you have you know schools welcoming neo-nazis on their campus like nick fuentes and you're not allowed to say anything against it that's nonsense this is about having open disclosure all right no society thrives where things are censored you thrive through having open, vigorous debate, and yes, full and open disclosure. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people say, well, I read a study. Where? And they can't or won't tell you. If you notice on this show, I will refer back. I attribute. I'll say, as reported by. Because it's not my words. I didn't write this article. Mr. Golden did it for the ProPublica. I'm merely reporting its contents. So, you know, one again, once again, this is what's happening here. Okay. Um, So. And then, of course, we have a couple of creeps that come up here. Okay. Uh, In October on the Florida State campus, there was a minibus that was covered in graffiti. And, um, It had things scrawled on it like Socialism Sucks. Um, And outside the minibus, there was a field rep for Turning Point USA. Okay. Now, keep in mind, Turning Point USA has spent millions through advocacy and such backing Donald Trump and similar people. And um, Turning Point also has what they call Watch List that's dedicated to, quote, unmasking radical professors, end quote. Now, the minibus was supposed to signify that the leader of Turning Point, Charlie Kirk, is opposition to censorship. Uh, The writer of this article then asked Kirk at a talk he gave that night in Tallahassee at the Civic Center whether Kirk supports laws restricting the teaching of critical race theory. And Kirk apparently said he does and that it's not a free speech issue. Kirk was quoted as saying, quote, it's a matter of curriculum, right? Should we teach the flat flat earth theory in physics, right? Should we teach bloodletting in biology? Um, There are some ideas that are so reprehensible and provably wrong, they shouldn't be anywhere close to an academic environment, end quote. Now, the author goes on to say that Charlie Kirk really had a hissy fit um, on anybody even mentioning systemic racism, in fact, in that talk that Kirk gave, Charlie Kirk gave in Tallahassee, Kirk referred to all the protests, the aftermath um, surrounding George Floyd's uh, murder as, quote, floyd palooza Okay, and this is a direct quote from Charlie Kirk. Kirk called it, quote, floyd palooza when we decided to destroy our entire country around a lie that America is systemically racist, which of course we're not. We're the least racist country ever to exist in the history of the world. End quote. I would like to know where Mr. Kirk got his documentation for that absurd statement. You know, right here on the air, mister Charlie Kirk, you need to produce your documentation immediately. It should be mentioned Charlie Kirk did not graduate from college. And you know, once again, this is all about white denial. Okay they want their privilege restored. That's all it is. They can't tolerate the idea that the truth might be taught. Okay a little more tea here. All right, give me a second. I'm losing my place here now, this past September um, another here we go. Uh, I lost my place. I'm sorry. Um, so there's a historically black college, Florida A&M University, and it was found. This is another story about the same article. It was founded in 1887. And it was let me check my time here, folks, is because I don't remember what I came as. OK, we're good. Huh, sorry about that. Um, so Florida black. All right. <laughs> back up here a little bit. So there was historic black college, Florida A&M was founded in 1887. And since 1891, it was located on a former plantation. And for the rest of the story, uh, black Florida A&M is now known as FAMU. Um, So after World War II, um, Florida opened a law school at FAMU. And in 1966, the state prohibited FAMU from enrolling a new law school class and transferred funding to Florida State, which wanted its own law school. FAMU law school reopened, I'm reading from the article, reopened in 2002 in Orlando, where it wouldn't compete with Florida State's law school. Now, what this is getting to is this. This past September, a group of FAMU students Sued the state of Florida, as documented in www.classaction.org/media. And it, the students accused it of discriminating by underfunding FAMU when compared with traditionally white law schools. Uh, and the disparity cited in 2015, the state moved the almost 13 million budget for a joint FAMU Florida State, not just not just law school, but FAMU Florida State Engineering College. All right, let me back up here. Group of FAMU stu- students in multiple disciplines sued the state of Florida. They had Florida underfunding, and when they compared it to traditional majority white schools, the disparities included in 2015. The state moved, in other words, they took 13 million from a joint FAMU Florida State Engineering College. Um, from, from their general operating revenues to a separate line under Florida State's authority. Um, so the lawsuit also says, linking fun- quote, linking funding to measures such as four-year graduation rates, HERS, FAMU, and other universities that primarily serve low-income students. So apparently some of this budget... Um, Part of the budget loss was based on whether or not FAMU had enough four-year graduation rates. And, you know, as somebody who was a low-income student in college, I had to stretch it out. It took me extra semesters because I couldn't afford it all, even with financial aid. And, yes, there are times when a low-income student, maybe they have to help out at home. So they have to drop out for a semester or two. Okay, and then it becomes harder to reenter enter of course, their four-year their four-year graduation rate is going to look like less, especially when you rot, when you uh, starved it of funding. So, in November, the state moved to dismiss the lawsuit, saying that the benchmarks used to determine the funding are quote wholly neutral end quote and the goal is to quote reward institutions who have better student outcomes not to diminish the performance of historically black institutions, end quote. This is a good example of that colorblind crap, all right, because they know it hurts communities of color more because they tend to be poorer overall. And so when you're a lower income student, yes, the chances that you're going to have to drop out at some point and work full time and maybe come back to school several years later, it's very real. you do not have daddy footing the bill. So to connect that, that's not a neutral outcome at all. And that is a good example of the effects of systemic racism right there, which they're calling neutral and colorblind. And that's why this ties into the whole subject matter. And then when you compare the two campuses, Florida State's campus is beautiful. FAMU has cracked walkways, rusted pipes, um, when the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, school, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit described more issues. be quote beds with broken frames, a dormitory. I'm reading straight from this, okay. Quote interviewed on campus, plaintiffs in the lawsuit from FAMU described more indignities. Quote beds with broken frames, a dormitory infested with rats and cockroaches. Computers so old the current professors had used them when they were undergraduates. End quote. This is not, this is a prime example of the colorblind excuse. They're claiming that their funding uh, funding uh, distribution decisions are based on wholly neutral criterion and benchmarks, knowing full well that because of historic uh, deprivation caused by systemic racism that trying to make everything neutral from this point on still disadvantages communities of color. They know this. One of the plaintiffs is a first-year graduate student named Fachel Ray Peterson. This Miss Peterson is studying chemistry. She described some of the labs at FAMU uh, lacking vital equipment. Um, she and her classmates, quote, she and her classmates frequently had to finish their lab work at Florida State. To quote her directly, quote, FAMU tries, it's best to give us what it can with what's given to them. What's given to them is less than what's given to others, end quote. There's another student who's a plaintiff, Ni- Niabi Stevens, third year psychology major, um, really talked about the state's treatment of FAMU, as I just said, Ta- really serves as an illustration about how the Individual Freedom Act is trying to silence just talking about these discrepancies that are based on injustice, the injustice of systemic racism. According to Stevens, quote, that's what the lawsuit is about, pointing out the systemic racism we see. I came to an HBCU, historically black college or university, so I can learn about my history. I'm very proud to be in the lawsuit and be a voice for people who don't have a voice, end quote. Okay? So this is what we're dealing with here. So, uh, excuse me, Uh this is what this Stop Woke Act, this individual freedom law, has really done. Now, there were some heroes. Besides the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center filed an amicus brief in suit uh, against Florida's Stop Woke Act, okay, like a friend of a court. And this is as documented, you can find it at the splcenter.org. It challenges, quote, the constitutionality of Florida's HB 7, commonly called the Stop Woke Act, signed by Governor Ron DeSantis in April. Quote, the law which takes effect July 1st aims to restrict educating children and others about the United States' legacy of racism in schools and workplaces. So the plaintiffs in the case, the case is known as Falls v. DeSantis, and you can find that at news.bloomberglaw.com or just look up the Southern Poverty Law Center. (coughs) I'm sorry, folks. So in Falls v. DeSantis, the plaintiffs include educators and parents of a kindergartner, and they say that HB 7 is a gross infringement on their fundamental rights to, quote, academic freedom, freedom of expression, and access to information under the First Amendment. So Southern Poverty Law Center, as I said before, filed the amicus brief, which is really considered a friend of the court, to support the plaintiffs, and that's in the U.S. District Court in the Northern District of Florida. The amicus brief on behalf of Learning for Justice and Florida Freedom to Read Project's documents, quote, the ways HB 7 will and has already interfered with the ability of students to obtain true and accurate information about the history of their society, end quote. Now, Learning for Justice is one of the groups that brought this suit. Um, They are a project of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, They were formed in 1991, and the idea was to, quote, provide free age-appropriate classroom resources and professional development tools to foster respect and understanding of differences among students in grades K through 12. Quote, the program also helps in just quoting straight from the brief. Quote, the program also helps educators navigate important but challenging conversations with students about race and other topics to prepare them to thrive in a democratic society. It goes on to say, quote, the brief notes that far from indoctrinating students into a so-called woke agenda, educators often struggle to teach about the history and origins of racism, resulting in a generation of high school graduates who lack basic information about the history of their country according to a study by Learning for Justice, which, again, you can go to splcenter.gov to find it. This goes on to say, quote, I'm just reading straight from it, quote, HB 7 would deepen this learning gap as educators, understandably fearful of public threats to police them, seek to avoid the penalties embedded in the law for teaching about prohibited topics, such as the factual disparities in wealth, education, and housing for black people in this country. Okay, Bacardi Jackson, who is the interim deputy legal director of the Southern Poverty Learn- of the SPLC's Children's Rights Practice Group, was quoted saying the following, quote, teaching honestly about our country's history and its legacy is not a right or left-wing proposition. Common sense, basic educational principles, and codes of ethics for educators demand it. Our brief on behalf of groups dedicated to the freedom to learn and to receive an equitable education makes clear that this law will have a chilling effect on our children's education about critical aspects of our society. We join the plaintiffs in Fall v. Desantis in urging the court to block the implementation of this harmful and unconstitutional law. End quote. So. Uh, a lot of schools in Florida don't know how they're going to respond yet. The Florida Board of Education specifications for the 22-23 school year social studies materials have interpreted quote have interpreted HB7 expansively, prohibiting social justice and culturally responsive teaching. Okay, it goes on to say quote the Florida Freedom to Read Project discovered through public records requests that even before the public these public let me start again. <clears throat> the quote, the Florida Freedom to Read Project discovered through public records request that even before these specifications were released, the school system in Orange County was already considering whether to interpret the law in this way. Okay. Stefana Farrell, who is the co-founder of the Florida Freedom to Read Project, said the following, quote, as a parent and educator group dedicated to protecting the right of Florida students to access information and ideas, the wording and intent of HB 7 has us very concerned. Through our research and in our circles, we have found early indicators that this law contradicts Florida's educational standards and will chill speech and therefore learning about racism in America, end quote. Protect Democracy also filed a separate amicus brief. Uh, again, friend of the court, um, on behalf of Division 15 of the American Psychological Association. Goes on to say, quote, uh, this particular filing by Protect Democracy on behalf of the the APA, American Psychological Association, says, quote, it cites extensive research illustrating that explicitly teaching about racism and diversity has manifold benefits for students including increased academic success and engagement with their school and that omitting such instructions hurts these outcomes and quote and i can say that too <clears throat> and it isn't just white versus black i remember when i was a young teacher in the 80s late 80s um i was at a middle a middle no yeah i was at a middle school and these Kids were talking about how somebody had Jewed them, and they kept going on and on about it. Yeah, you know, you know Miss Sam, you know what we're talking about. I did get mad because they happened to be Jewish. I went, "Well, no, I'm not sure. Could you explain it to me?" I stayed calm. They play, you know, when somebody teaches you they Jew you. <clears throat> you know those people. Now I, I realized these were just kids, and this was what would be called a teachable moment. So I said, "Could you explain a little more?" Okay, well, and after they went through their whole long diatribe, I asked them, well, do you think that of me? Oh, no, man, of course not. You're cool. Okay, how am I cool? And then they went down the list again. Okay, well, it's good to know. Thank you. And I said, sweetie, I I hate to tell you this. And I'm not saying this to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but I happen to be Jewish. And they started hemming and hawing. And I said, said, you didn't get mad. I said, no, I didn't because when you hear stories about other people and there's no real proof and they, and they use these generalizations, you need to question, you know, is this really fair? Is this honest? And, you know, they grew from that. So this is something that's needed because the slurs, the insults, let's call all this what it is. We have in a culture, in fact, I'll go further. We have an American culture of abuse, and bills like HB7, the Stop Woke Act, this is an attempt to gaslight us, to con us, and drive us crazy to thinking we're not really being abused when we clearly are. It's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. If DeSantis doesn't like it, let him try and sue me. He'd just make my career. be fine with me. He wouldn't get anything. I don't have anything, but he'd make me... Higher up on the list in terms of my career notoriety. All right, so we're talking about this. Where did all these anti-woke bills originate? I'm going to check our time again here. Oops, we need to hustle. And it's not just anti-woke, but, you know, we know, for instance, I mentioned Christopher Rufo from the Manhattan Institute, you know, is basically creating the, or at least, really uh, exaggerating the critical race theory boogeyman. But these bills long originated with a group called ALEC. Our friends at ALEC, once again, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Doesn't that name sound so benign, but it isn't. ALEC is found, It's funded by a lot of corporations, but a lot of the seed money came from Coke Industries. Okay? Which is not a good thing. So they're is this piece now the headline was alec inspires lawmakers to file anti-critical race theory bills it's by don Weiner and alex Koch. and it's published in a series published by the center for media and democracy and the series is called exposed by cmd cmd being the center for media and democracy this piece was published uh july 27th 2021 And it's a featured investigation. Okay. So, you know, you can go through this. You can look it up yourself. Um, You know, once again, ALEC hosted a workshop in December of 2020. And they called it, quote, the title of the workshop was, quote, Against Critical Theories Onslaught. Now, you have to understand what ALEC is. ALEC is a group uh, of lawyers that write bills right templates for bills that are copied and they're basically called a bill mill so for instance when your state legislator comes up with this you know idea for an anti-critical race theory bill or maybe it's um you know um, uh, a bill against whatever you you know most of us would think well you know this guy wrote the law right he came up with this bill and like, no he didn't chances are if it was a Republican, then he has a template where all he has to do is fill in the blank and put his name on it. And some of these Republicans are so lazy, they don't even bother to fill in the blank. They put their name on and go, here you go. And it's written by ALEC, their lawyers. A lot of their lawyers through ALEC come from the firm of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon, but it's not the only one. So they had this in December of 2020. They had this thing, this, this, this workshop. You know, just just in time for Santa called Against Critical Theories Onslaught. Now, the workshop, it was virtual. It was part of ALEC's annual States and Nation Policy Summit. Okay, and that's as documented by exposed by cmd.org. And their summits, the state legislatures, but it also includes legislators. It includes corporate lobbyists, staff from right-wing policy organizations, staff from private foundations, And all that has been verified by an attendance list that was, quote, obtained and published by the Center for Media and Democracy. So you can check it yourself. The workshop's description reads the following, quote, the 1619 curriculum is infecting our schools. Remember, that was the New York Times talking. It was a different, it was a more honest lens of history. Quote, the 1619 curriculum is infecting our schools. Diversity training is taking over our workplaces. How do patriotic Americans respond? It's so difficult. Okay, I'm being silly. But keep in mind, ALEC is a corporate bill mill. It's pay to play, according to CMD. Legislators meet corporate lobbyists behind closed doors. The lobbyist hand them, here you go. Here's your template for basically all sorts of bills on all sorts of subjects you will never have to actually write a bill yourself we've done it for you and they focus on model legislation these templates these call them what they are these templates they're cheat sheets um this this is legislation that weakens the following quote environmental protections advances anti-union measures reduces funding for health care promotes private prisons and weakens state regulation of corporations okay Um, The Stand Your Ground legislation that we saw throughout the country that was also tied to the 2020 death of Trayvon Martin, okay, was actually promoted by ALEC. And you can see that from a a group called www.alecexpose.org. So after that, ALEC did face a donor crisis, but then last year, Alec just, you know, and so Alec kind of kind of uh, walked away from social issues for a bit. But then in 2020, they came right back. They supported Trump's efforts to protect Confederate monuments, you know, again, exposed by cmd.org. And then also the outrage over teaching critical race theory in public schools, which we don't do anyway. Um, And then... You know, Center for Media Democracy, these writers explain what critical race theory is. Quote, critical race theory posits that racism is not just the result of individual bias, but is the result of institutionalized laws and practices that create or reinforce discrimination, end quote. That's in a nutshell, and it makes sense. How can, and this is me talking now, rhetorically speaking, how can these right-wing attorneys say that racism isn't the result of institutionalized laws and practices when we had laws that allowed slavery. We had a court decision, Dred Scott, that said black people weren't really people but three-fifths of a person. Okay, It's written into our Constitution until we wrote the 13th Amendment. We had institutionalized laws that instituted and protected Jim Crow discrimination. How in the world they can say this is the truth? It is the truth. That's why they hate it. So I'm going to read that part again because this is important. And this is, again, from the Center for Media and Democracy, the, their definition of critical race theory, and it's, it's so good. It's right spot on. Quote, critical race theory posits that racism is not just the result of individual bias but is the result of institutionalized laws and practices that create or reinforce discrimination, end quote. And it's true. But these right-wingers have taken it to mean, no, you're telling these white kids that they have to hate themselves and hate their country. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that at all. But that's what they're pulling. Um, Professor Ibram X. Kendi, and I hope I'm saying it correctly, is the director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. And this is uh, as documented by TheAtlantic.com. Professor Kendi said the following, quote, the Republican operatives who dismiss the expositions of critical race theorists and anti-racists in order to define critical race theory and anti-racism and then attack those definitions are effectively debating themselves. They have conjured an imagined monster to scare the American people and project themselves as the nation's defenders from that fictional monster, end quote. Oh, Professor Kennedy, you said it. Brilliant statement. It, it, you don't want to laugh, but he's pointing out how incredibly stupid people on the right are. But they're also dangerous, unfortunately. Dozens of states file anti-critical race theory bills. As of June 29th keep in mind this this piece done by Center for Media and Democracy was published in the summer of 21 okay um, so as of june 29 2021 this is a quote from education week okay quote as of june 29 again, 2021 26 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that would restrict Teaching critical race theory or limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism. Nine states have enacted these bans either through legislation or other avenues. Okay? And it's clear that the GOP is using this as a wedge issue because they have nothing to offer. You know, while the GOP is basically pushing more tax cuts for the billionaire class and allowing your jobs to be sent elsewhere, they're using these wedge issues like a red flag in front of a bull so you don't notice how they're ripping you off. Okay? BuzzFeed News reported the following, quote, The strategy is rooted in what Republican officials believe worked for them in 2020, tying Democrats in swing districts to a hyper-emotional, intense local issue, even if it's not something that Congress has much of a role in. In the last election it was police funding and Black Lives Matter protest, end quote. And it's true. So the December Alec workshop was led by um, Bridget Weisenberg, who is the um, who's with the Heritage Foundation. And it also featured Jonathan Butcher and Angela Saylor. Um, Butcher is also with Heritage. Angela Saylor is uh, and Angela Saylor's with Heritage as well. They also feature, it also was led by Discovery Institute's Christopher Rufo, as well as American Enterprise Institute's Ian Rowe and Woodson Center's Robert Woodson. Okay, according to this quote, 31 state legislators from 20 states attended, along with corporate rep- representatives from Guarantee Life Insurance, EDP Renewables, and State Farm Insurance, end quote. Okay, so. They, they they're just they've made critical race theory the boogeyman um, the speakers are promoting curriculum materials from trump's 1776 project uh, also a Goldwater institute model bill according to sourcewatch.org um, to make curriculum materials transparent they also discuss discuss privatization schemes such as education savings accounts and charter schools and that's what they're really about this is in part really about not only censoring us, but it's about destroying our public school system. Okay? <clears throat> okay. Um so this is what we're you know, we're dealing with here. It's it's really vile. Um you know, and we're here, I'm going back here now. Um So there was a New York Post opinion piece written by Heritage Foundation staff, and part of it said the following, quote, the goals of the Black Lives Matter organization go far beyond what most people think, but they are hiding in plain sight there for the world to see. Excuse me, if only we read beyond the slogans and the innocuous-sounding media accounts of the movement. Okay, well, I know several members of Black Lives Matter And really, all they want is equality. Seriously. Um, There were several ALEC lawmakers that were there as well. Uh, Republican State Rep. Beryl Amity of Louisiana. She co-authored an op-ed, an editorial. And that's according to the, you can read it at, excuse me, thehayride.com. Yeah, I said that right. And she argued that critical race theory, quote, is an outgrowth and little more than a new version of the Marxist ideology of class warfare with an end goal of societal collapse and the remaking of society. If you know history, it's easy to both spot and identify. The problem for those confronting this potential catastrophe is how they are explaining their end goals for dealing with it, end quote. All right. First of all, you don't end a sentence with a preposition, Miss Amity. Secondly, how in the hell is Black Lives Matter Marxist? They want equal rights politically. What does that have to do with Marxism, which is an economic model? Like it, it just shows how ignorant she is. Um, but there were more uh, Republican representative from Iowa, Representative Marx is narrows support. Went home to Iowa and supported HF 802, which, quote, banned critical race theory and diversity training in Iowa public schools, community colleges, and state universities. Goes on to say, quote, HF 802, which mirrors the language and similar bills in other states, prohibits race and sex stereotyping in diversity training defined as, quote, ascribing character traits, values, moral and ethical codes, status, or beliefs to a race or sex or to an individual because of the individual's race or sex. It goes on to say, quote, assigning fault, blame, or bias to a race or sex or to members of a race or sex because of their race or sex or claiming that consciously or unconsciously and by virtue of person's race or sex, members of any race are inherently racist or inherently inclined to oppress oppress others and that members of a sex are inherently sexist or inclined to oppress others, end quote. Whoever wrote this can't write, Basically, what they're saying is, one, we're not going to acknowledge that racism and misogyny, which is sexism, takes place and is historic. And two, um, we can't identify those who abuse us, which is nonsense. But HF 802 was passed by the Iowa legislature and signed by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. Here in Missouri, our state rep Brian Seitz, who is a freaking moron in my opinion, uh, also was at the ALEC workshop and introduced an amendment to a bill that would ban the teaching of critical race theory. Uh, Luckily, his amendment died in the legislature. So it goes on and on and on. According to Center for Media and uh, Democracy, ALEC has often, and I'm reading from this, allied itself with far-right extremists, including white nationalists, End quote, and that is documented by exposedbycmd.org. Okay. Uh, the group, uh, former Washington State Chair Matt Shea was with Alec. He was a former, Alec, former Washington State Chair Matt Shea, participated in domestic terrorism, according to Exposed by CMD. Um, he was in three armed conflicts against the U.S. government. Uh, and that was based on an investigation ordered by the State House in Washington. Um, and even though there were repeated inquiries made by Center for Media and Democracy, ALEC refused um, to distance themselves from Representative Shea's, quote, racist and extremist rhetoric and activities, again, as documented by exposed by CMD. Um, so it goes on. We're kind of running shy on time here now. Um, David Armia contributed research to this project. Don Weiner is a contributor to Center for Media Democracy. These are the authors. He has 40 years experience as a policy analyst, researcher, media strategist, and coalition coordinator. Um, he also has a PhD in political science from the University of Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin-Madison. Alex Koch is a former investigative reporter with CMD, Center for Media and Democracy. He's also a campaign finance expert. He helped launch Money in Politics. I'm reading from this quote, Alex helped launch Money in Politics website Sludge. Um, End quote. His work's been published in more than two dozen media outlets, including the American Prospect, The Nation, and Vice.com. So these people know what they're talking about. So this is what we're dealing with now. And so what does Ron DeSantis have to say? Well, according to CBS News, and this was back in November, a piece by Emily May Zacker. The headline is, Florida is where woke goes to die, Governor Ron DeSantis says after reelection victory. So he defeated Charlie Crist, okay, and he's you know, DeSantis is positioning himself for a White House run, God save us. Um, so DeSantis in November gave this victory speech and he declared that Florida's electorate had, quote, rewritten the political map. Okay. And there's a direct quote here. Let's see, make sure I've got it. Give me a second here. Yep. Here is from his speech, direct quote, Ron DeSantis. And yes, I am mocking him, quote, We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. Oh, my goodness. He's so funny. We have respected our taxpayers, and we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die, end quote. Okay, so bottom line is this, Governor DeSantis, basically Florida is where equality under law, true justice, and democracy goes to die. You got it wrong. Okay, and he was slapped down on November. He gave that speech right after the election, early November. And on November 29th, DeSantis received a rude awakening, namely the court slapping down the anti-woke legislation. This is from the ACLU. Uh, The headline is, Lessons Learned from Our Classroom Censorship Win Against Florida's Stop Woke Act. Here's what the judge's orders could mean for challenges to censorship efforts nationwide. Okay, all right, just checking our time here. All righty. So a federal judge, according to the aclu.org, blocked Florida from enforcing the Stop Woke Act, which is also known as the, the acronym is Stop Wrongs Against Our Kids and Employees Act. Okay. And it was going to apply to the state's colleges and universities. And this is happening all over the nation. But this is the first time that a court slapped it down. And not only that, but this is the first time that the court slapped down this classroom censorship law as unconstitutional, which it is. Okay? Across Florida. Um, So... You know, once again, uh, the ACLU argued that the law violated the First and Fourteenth Amendments. And I'm I'm just going to read straight from this quote. We, namely the ACLU, argued the law violated the First and Fourteenth Amendments because it restricts instructors from teaching and students from learning certain viewpoints. The law is unconstitutionally vague, and it intentionally discriminates against black instructors and students the order describes the law as positively dystopian and makes the following key findings that could be leveraged to challenge similar classroom censorship legislation in other states. Okay, so, end quote. So there are some things that the the actual order said. I'm just going to read part of it. Number one, quote, instruction, instruction in higher education is protected by the First Amendment and academic freedom, because it is. Now, Florida was arguing, and this is really hideous, that the state, if if a professor is an employee, if a professor teaches at a public university, it's saying that the state has, quote, the absolute right, end quote, to control what that professor teaches because it's government speech, okay, which is nonsense, okay. Number two, quote, university students have their own First Amendment right to receive information, including concepts related to racism and sexism prohibited by the Stop Woke Act. I agree. If I were a student there, I'd be raising hell. You can't tell me I can't learn about this. That's nonsense. I'll make up my own mind. Number three, the court said, quote, like the Stop Woke Act, other classroom censorship laws are vulnerable to challenge as unconstitutional viewpoint-based restrictions. Thank you. Uh, And it's true, okay? Um, So here, let me look at this here. Uh, So according to this, quote, the STOP WOKE Act limited, I'm just reading straight from it, quote, the STOP WOKE Act limited instruction to viewpoints that the legislature agreed with even when those viewpoints contradict research academic scholarship, and foundational understandings of academic disciplines. Based on their academic training and research, our professor plaintiffs teach that some people are disadvantaged in America, and particularly in the criminal legal system due to their race. Describe the existence of white privilege and its impact in society, and advocate for affirmative action to ensure campus diversity. The StopWoke Act, Forced our professor plaintiffs to choose between teaching these evidence-supported concepts, which are foundational in their field, or censoring their viewpoints to comply with the law, as Judge Mark Walker viewpoints in uh, university classrooms. Okay, we lost part of that there. Okay, so the the judge is basically saying, it looks like it cut it off here, that um, you know, this particular law would permit. Okay, it it lost it. Basically, it's saying that you can't restrict viewpoints just because you don't like them. That's contradictory to the First Amendment. Number four, the Stop Woke Act was unconstitutionally vague on various grounds. Okay? Um, and really, you can't, how can you write benchmarks if it's so vague? You really can't. You know, the state's interpretation of, quote, objectivity was viewed as ambiguous. Um, The court noted, quote, that professors could not organize a debate about the merits of affirmative action because any speaker that argued in favor of affirmative action would violate the STOP-WOKE Act, end quote. So you have to remember, um, you know, it goes on to say here, for instance, um, quote, the order found that some of the prohibited concepts were impossible to interpret, within the context of university instruction because of its complicated wording or ambiguous meaning. For example, the law permits discussion of these concepts if prevented I'm sorry, if presented in an objective manner and without endorsement. Okay. However, the state argued that any promotion of the prohibited concepts would violate the law. Basically what it's saying is you can discuss these concepts as long as you're presented objectively and you don't endorse anything. But if what if you know some of those ob- objective points really show that the actual viewpoint that the state finds abhorrent is actually true? Okay. How, furthermore, how can you have a debate? You know, debate includes one person arguing pro, the other um, pro and con, for and against. You have to have both sides or it's not a debate. Well, if the law says you can't argue pro in, in any of its merits, then that's not a debate. Okay. Five, the state's attempt to justify the censorship as an anti-discrimination effort to reduce res- racism was a failed effort. Okay, so Judge Walker wrote the following, quote, Defendants, This is the judge talking, quote, Defendants try to dress up the state of Florida's interest as a public employer and educator as prohibiting discrimination in university classrooms, but this does not give defendants a safe harbor in which to enforce viewpoint-based restrictions targeting protective speech. Okay. Uh, end quote. The judge went on to argue the Stop Woke Act, uh, claiming it's an anti-discrimination law is a red herring. Uh, This goes on to say, quote, this is Center for Media and Democracy, not the judge. Quote, to be clear, education gag orders do not serve anti-discrimination purposes. They are thinly veiled speech restrictions without any attempt to limit discriminatory actions. And it's true. The Stop Woke Act, let's call it what it is, it's an education gag order and therefore is unconstitutional. That's it. I don't care if some bigoted white boy gets his feelings hurt. Tough grow up. So, this is what's happening here and, you know, once again, it is truly frightening that somebody like Ron DeSantis is going to be a serious presidential contender for the GOP. He's well well educated, he's bright enough, but, you know, either Ron DeSantis is the biggest sellout political whore known to man in my opinion, or he's incredibly bigoted, or both, I don't know which. All righty, so now, just when you thought Florida couldn't get weirder, seriously, let me get this together here, because we're getting ready for our Jackass of the Week Award. Ah, and this one is a good one, okay, just when you think, Things can't get any more ridiculous, and then they do. So I'm going to have to, this one, this Jackass of the Week award is actually a combined award. It's going to be shared by um, Roger Stone, Mr. Dirty Tricks himself, a Mexican-American activist named Paloma Zuniga who believes witchcraft exists, and... A former political, um, uh, repu- a former political, uh, I'm sorry, a former Republican office seeker named Matt Tito, who is also a friend, allegedly a friend of Dirty Tricks liar Roger Stone. So, with that, let's get started. Give me a second here to get this going. Uh-huh. TNN's Jackass of the Week Awards! Brayon, Jack! Brayon! Okay, so this is a crazy story. Let me tell you. Okay, we all know who Roger Stone is. Okay, Roger Stone is basically the worst piece of scum that crawled out from underneath a rock, again, in my opinion. And, you know, I think it was a week or so ago we talked about how uh, neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes uh, wants to basically accuse uppity women of witchcraft and have them burned at the stake. I I wish I were joking. That's how crazy this is. Well, now you have this new Republican uh, congresswoman, Anna Paulina Luna. She was elected, and apparently there are some other Republicans that don't like her. And so this was, there was also a piece in Newsweek, too, I Went to Daily Cause, in a piece written by Rebecca Sager of the Daily Cause staff, the headline was, Newly Elected Republican Congresswoman from Florida Accused of Practicing Witchcraft. So this is really, really insane here. Okay, I I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I'm just, so let me get that article. Give me a second here. Okay, so she's newly elected representative, a congresswoman, Anna Paulina Luna, newly elected Republican in this new freshman class of you know Congress people. Apparently, though, in MAGA circles, she is known for practicing witchcraft and also known, allegedly, she had some sort of a tryst or affair with Matt Gates. Ooh, that's all I can say is ooh. But these, where did these allegations come from? Well, apparently, so, uh, part of it was coming from a man named Matt Tito. And T- Matt Tito is a friend of Roger Stone's. He's also a failed candidate. He ran for the 68th District in Florida in 2020, and he lost to the Democratic incumbent, Ben Diamond. Now, according to reporting, I need some more tea here, by the Daily Beast, um, representative Luna she has hired a law firm I don't blame her uh, the law firm Holland Knight she wants an apology from Tito over claims he made on the Bubba the love sponge radio show I looked up this this uh, show Bubba the love love sponge apparently it's it's for um, I think marine veterans and Tito Matt Tito actually is a Marine veteran, um, which is scary. So in October, uh, Representative Luna, her attorney, a man named David J. Lisco, wrote a letter to Matthew Tito demanding a video apology to retract these defamatory statements. Um, the letter went on to say, quote, um, Quote, you said that Miss Luna, a devout Christian, practices witchcraft. You are hereby demanded to publicly and immediately retract each and every defamatory statement you made about Miss Luna on the show because you do not have the ability to distribute your retraction widely on your social media. You are demanded to apologize and retract your statements on the Bubba the Love Sponge show or by making a retraction and apology video that you send to me that Miss Luna will distribute via her social media. Now, as reported by the Daily Beast, Matt Tito is refusing to do any of that. Tito is quoted as saying, quote, I didn't wake up one morning when I was going on the Bubba the Love Sponge show and say I'm going to pull a bunch of stuff out of my ass and talk about it, Um, end quote. Uh, Tito goes on. Tito claims that the information came from a woman named Paloma Zuniga who is – in a group called Hispanics for Trump and it was Zuniga that said Luna quote practices witchcraft and quote puts spells on people end quote okay I'm just going to come out and say this this is insanity what does it take Mr. Tito there is no freaking thing as witchcraft you're talking about superstition and this is I mean, I am no fan of Congresswoman Luna's at all. This is crazy, okay? But there's more to it than just that, okay? i got to go a little further here. So um, then there's this other person named Omar Navarro, who was another Republican who ran for Congress and lost. And Omar Navarro t- also told the Daily Beast that rumors about Representative Luma have been swirl- swirling in the GOP. Um, and, and again, apparently Navarro lost to Representative Maxine Waters in 16, 18, 20, and 22. And then according to this article in Daily Cause, in 2019, Navarro was arrested on stalking charges. Um Okay, in 2020, all right, this goes on and on and on. Apparently, the fight between Representative Luna and Matthew Tito goes back to an injunction that she filed in 2021, accusing him of working with another candidate in a, quote, plan to murder her, okay? Um, which, again, this just goes from insane to even more insane, Um I don't know what to make of all this. I'm just going to say it, all right? The fact that these people are invoking uh, witchcraft is just beyond insane. It it just is. But, and, uh, you know, these people, so it just leaves me speechless. Now, this is in conjunction with, and the reason Roger Stone comes into it is earlier, earlier this year, Newsweek, which has really gone downhill in my opinion, ran a piece by Jason Lemon, and this was in May of 2022, and the headline was, Trump allies warn of, get this, demonic territory, sat- satanic portal over Biden White House, end quote. So Roger Stone, he went on TV and all sorts of saying there was a demonic portal over the White House from the minute Joe Biden moved in. Okay. Demonic portals, witchcraft, these people are certifiable. That's the only, so for that reason and so many others, I just go, and for all those reasons, I am saying congratulations to Paloma Nuvega, Matthew Tito, and Roger Stone, because y'all share the important jackass of the Week awards from Progressive News Network. Brayon, Jack, Brayon. So that's our show for tonight. I hope you learned something. Um, we will be uh, doing the Environmental Justice Report again very soon. We will have hopefully another week or two. Um, anti-nuclear activist uh, Libby Halevi. Um you know, once again, we had a little technical problem here. Uh, that's what's going on right now. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I know that, wow, just when I thought Missouri was bad, Florida outshined and showed that, you know what, jackass is something that's fun by temperament and not by political party. With that, I say good night and, oh, God bless us because we're going to need it.